Welcome everyone to the Die Hard Hoops podcast special episode. Taylor Kramer, Stephen Kramer here as your hosts as we continue to break down the NBA playoffs. And um, you know, some of these series have not disappointed. Um, so in this episode, um, we're really breaking down some of the past first round series that have finished, obviously talking a lot about Dallas and Clippers and some of the intriguing thoughts and storylines along with that series. Um, so Taylor, first, I, I, I do want to touch a little bit on the Eastern Conference because I know we're probably going to spend the majority of the time in this podcast talking about um, the Lakers and the Suns with the first round and, and Dallas and the Clippers in their first round series. So first off, um, Brooklyn, Milwaukee is one of the best second round series I can remember in quite a long time. And um, as dominant as Milwaukee looked in the first round going against Miami, Brooklyn looked even more dominant going against a banged up um, Celtics team. Um, what are some of your initial thoughts as this series kicks off um, tonight as we're recording this on a Saturday? Uh, initial thoughts are I am so excited. They're not only because I, I've been a Milwaukee fan before this series, but if you care at all about the sanctity of NBA basketball, this is like good versus evil. Here's a, a Milwaukee team that has been built in a way that I can respect. And then you have Brooklyn, which is just a whole bunch of guys calling their own shots and teaming up on this super team, kind of unlike we've ever seen. We've had versions of big threes in the past, but this is one of the strangest and possibly most potent big threes you could put together scoring wise. And I just feel like for the first time in a long time, um, this is a, a series where I need the good guys to win. I need Milwaukee to just break up whatever this crap is that Brooklyn has put together just to show the world that no, you can't just put a ton of talent together, have them play less than, than 10 games together all year. And, and they run through everybody. I don't want to see that happen. So I need Milwaukee to, to win this. And they're a great matchup basketball wise. We talk about defensively, they have guys that can match up with Brooklyn. I think that can slow them down in a way. Not many other teams can. And then maybe just as importantly, the guys that they have that can match up defensively also require some attention on the offensive end. And so they're going to force Brooklyn to have to guard in a way that they didn't have to in that Celtic series. It's hard to, it's hard to get a good feel for the, the Celtics Brooklyn series because the Celtics have been struggling the entire year. I mean, as we're recording this, I mean, Danny Ainge isn't there anymore, right? Brad Stevens isn't the head coach anymore. He now he's in the front office. So there were a lot of things that were on their way as soon as this season ended for the Celtics not having Jalen Brown, their second best player. And so I don't know what to, to expect with that Brooklyn team, because I don't feel like we got a great view of what their team actually looks like because the Celtics team that they were playing was just out of sorts all year, obviously missing a really, really good player, two way player and Brown. So um, I don't have, know a whole lot of what to make it, but I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. We can't have the Brooklyn Nets win the championship. This is this is deep, man. And and you know, Durant going to Golden State, I mean, left a 
really bad taste in my mouth, you know, joining a 73 win team. Um, and this one it, to me is almost worse in the sense that like it was three guys. Um, okay. Durant was a free agent and he left. Okay. I'm glad he, he left golden state. Cause it just wasn't fair. Right. But then Kyrie forces his way out of Cleveland. Then he, he's a terrible fit in, in Boston, right? That does not go well. He, he makes sure that he goes to Brooklyn. And then what James Harden does of literally putting on like 50 pounds and not showing up to play for the Rockets. And then all of a sudden he pushes his way to go to, to Brooklyn. Um, the, the, this is about the purity of the game. This is about the purity of the game, man. And uh, if, if, if you're a, you may enjoy watching James Harden play. You may enjoy watching Kyrie Irving play. You may watch watching Kevin Durant play. I certainly wa enjoy watching Kevin Durant play. Like I, his game, I love watching his game play. It's a beautiful thing. But the way that those guys have gone about putting this team together, I have real problems with that. And honestly, like, I'm worried about this, this impressionable generation of basketball fans that are in, they're in junior high, they're in high school, they're in college. And for them to, to see how this is kind of going about and, and just, that's not the way the game's meant to be, you know, at the, at the highest level. So um, I know I'm repeating a lot of what you just mentioned, but I did want to share some predictions. I, I think that Milwaukee's defense is going to be a challenge for Brooklyn to score, but Brooklyn is going to score. Now, defensively, are they going to be able to stop Milwaukee? Not a ton, but I think they're going to be able to put Harden on P.J. Tucker. So Harden just going to be able to stand in the corner the whole time. I think uh, Durant is going to have his hands full because there's going to be plenty of times where he has to guard Giannis. Um, Kyrie is, is going to have, uh, he, he's going to play like whoever that other wing guy is that they've put on there. They're not going to put him on holiday, but there are going to be matchups. So I'm very curious to see if Milwaukee headhunts Harden and Kyrie in ball screen situations and looks to attack them or if they kind of let him off the hook, because besides Middleton, Holloway, and, and Holiday, you got to guard those guys, right? Um, Durant is going to have his hands full doing some work with, with Giannis. Um, how much are they going to try to seek out those guys? That's going to be really interesting for me. And as much as we need Milwaukee to win this series, I think it's going to come down to something very, very simple. You ready? Yeah, man. That pause has me just eager to hear what you have to say. Two words. Free throws. Okay. So Brooklyn has the ability to get to the free throw line in a way that no other teams do. No. Oh. Late game free throws is what this is going to come down to because I can see – I can see – you're not wrong in what you said, but, but my thought is late game in a, in a close game, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant are three of the best free throw shooters in the league. 
they can go hack a Giannis and win the game. At any point during the game, if things are going bad, they can just start following Giannis and he's going to start bricking and airballing free throws. And so, so that's my concern during close games is I think Milwaukee is going to have the ability to hang with Brooklyn every single game. But when it comes to four minutes and under in a close game, there is no way I think that Milwaukee is going to be able to execute at the level um, that Brooklyn is because of the way that those three guys were able to create their own shot and the way that if you're down, if you're down against Brooklyn in the fourth quarter, you're probably not going to come back, right? Because you're going to have to foul and they're going to make two out of two at the free throw line pretty much every time. So that's my biggest concern. That's why um, this could be a painful series for me because I could see Brooklyn winning in like five games and all five games were so, so close. And you're going to be looking at the series and saying, how did Milwaukee, you know, it only took five games for Brooklyn win. How did this happen? The game, it's going to be the late game stuff. I, I got a bad feeling about it, man. I got a bad feeling. Yeah, I think all that stuff is definitely possible and could unfold. Uh, for me, I I actually think I'm going to pick Milwaukee to win this series. I just think that, and, and again, maybe it's what we talked about earlier with the purity and, and protecting the sanctity of this game, and, and that maybe that is leading me to just, in my heart, want to root for a team that, that might not win. But I think Milwaukee has enough. I think that Holiday, you're going to see him on full display where he's going to be able to switch back and forth between a couple of guys. Um, they're not going to, if, if Milwaukee has their best defensive lineup out on the floor, they're going to be able to switch a lot of things. And that, that I mean, we see that in every series where you start headhunting guys and you get that switch, like Luca was doing it to, to Morris uh, last night. It just happens in every single game. And I don't know that they're able to do that as effectively against Milwaukee. And also Brooke Lopez has been playing really, really well. And so I'm excited to see him be able to try to protect the paint against, uh, against some of those guys that, that Brooklyn has out there. So I'm, I'm leading Milwaukee. I don't feel great about it, but I think that if there was a team that is able to take down Brooklyn, it's going to be a team that's built exactly like Milwaukee. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Um, all right. Real, real quickly on Philadelphia, Atlanta, um, I was I was surprised at how easily Atlanta disposed of New York. Probably shouldn't have been. I mean, when you when you look at New York season, I thought that they had an awesome season. Great that New York basketball is back. Um, but there's tears to this game. And although Julius Randle is you know an all had an All NBA type season, it doesn't mean he's an All NBA caliber player. Um, that was shown throughout the series. Um, they were able to really load up the paint. And um, he, he, if you're going to have a great team, he's probably going to be your third best player. And he's your best player on this team. It just shows how great their season was. Um, and let, let's be honest, in this unique season, they stayed healthy. You know, they, the, Thibodeau is going to play his brand of, of defense. So, you know, he's, he's generally known for having a lot of successful regular seasons with just the style and they're going to play hard every game, getting you some wins. Um, but this team just didn't have the makeup. So as you look into the Philly Atlanta series, um, if Embiid is messed up, I don't see how they can win. I think Atlanta is too good, too, too talented. 
uh, too many uh, athletes and scorers in a variety of ways. And I don't see how Philadelphia is going to be able to hurt them offensively enough to, to shut them down. I mean, Trey Young's going to have a heck of a lot harder time scoring on Philadelphia with the, the defenders that they have, but I don't know how Philadelphia is going to be able to score. Yeah. That's the question, right? Is when your best player is Ben Simmons, when, when Embiid is out, obviously then Ben Simmons is your de facto best, best player. And he's not a guy that is going to provide a ton of offense unless it's in transition. And yeah, defensively, they're going to be able to hold Trey, I think in check as much as you can. Uh, Whereas New York, I mean, he was just making those defenders look foolish a lot of times. So they're going to have guys that can, that can shut down Trey in certain ways that New York couldn't, but then they're not going to be able to score. I don't think on the other side without Embiid. So you could have, Clint Capella going out there and having just monster games because Embiid isn't in there and he's going to get offensive rebounds and, and lobs and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, if Embiid is out, then I think you have to, you have to pick Atlanta. They're just more talented across the board. Agreed. All right, let's shoot out West. Um, you want to go, you want to talk Lakers or you want to talk, uh, Clippers first? Yeah, let's talk Lakers because that series is over. So Perfect. Perfect. All right. So Sun, Suns, Lakers, um, Taylor, any, you know, biggest surprise? I mean, are, are you surprised with, with how this season went down for the Lakers or kind of see it coming? Yeah. I mean, I thought in some ways I did see it coming. Like, yes, the Lakers, they won the championship last year. And just cause it was a bubble season, I don't necessarily count it. Um, as less of a championship, but it was different. And you have to understand that it was different. And if there was, if there was a, a time that a Lakers team that was, you know, thrown together and they had just gotten Anthony Davis, um, that might, might've been their best chance to like, to take advantage of the situation, which was the bubble. And they did that and they won the championship. And I just felt like this year, things never came together in the way that you would want when you're defending your title. And, you know, there was injuries with LeBron and Anthony Davis. And then ultimately that's what brought them down in that Phoenix series. I think with the fully healthy Anthony Davis, you know, it's probably switched, like maybe Phoenix wins two and the Lakers win four, but there's deeper questions, not just to do with this series, but to do with the Lakers as a whole, like, I don't think Anthony Davis is the answer for those guys. We can see what he does in the off season. And if he can come back healthy, maybe switch up his training regiment or whatever it is, but he is, he's injured so much. It's just, it's really too bad. I mean, here's a guy who could end up being a, he's probably gonna be a hall of famer anyway, but a guy who would be in the running for MVPs. And that was the Lakers idea when they got him was okay. We're going to have, Anthony and LeBron and, and, and Davis is going to be there after LeBron really does retire and, or isn't as effective and can be a number one guy. They got to, they have to figure some things out. And we had talked about their lack of point guard play. You and I were texting back and forth. Um, that was just uh or no, I'm sorry. We were talking about the Clippers for that one, but still Schroeder, he wasn't a great fit. Rondo was a much better fit for those teams last year. And Schroeder has a tendency like some other guys in the playoffs to, to shoot you out of a game. Sometimes he thinks that he's a first option and it just, it was the same thing with the heat. It just didn't look like you would hope it would look after having a successful season the year before. And I haven't touched on Phoenix. I'll, I'll toss it over to you, but I do have a couple things to say about Phoenix as well. Well, I, I don't think it's a surprise that the two teams that were in the finals last year were both out in the first round. Um, such a short 
break before you got to ramp it back up again. Um, this like, certainly a reason why, you know, these teams were banged up uh, from a, from a health standpoint. Um, and so when you look at it that way, it makes sense. Um, when I looked at the Clipper or the Lakers roster, I thought that they did some great moves. I mean, you, you take Harrell away from the Clippers, not that Harrell's going to be this great player, but you took him away from another contender and then he doesn't do much. You get Schroeder who should be an upgrade from Rondo, but he wasn't. You got Kuzma who, who's starting to get up and an experienced player and he's just like a no-show and he should be your third main guy. So you have essentially, if you have Anthony Davis and LeBron, you got Schroeder and you have Kuzma who could both be legit third best guys on a championship team. And neither one of them showed up this year to play. And the telling point to me was um, it was game three. LeBron is posting up Crowder and you have the whole, the whole bench Schroeder drumming bunch of guys. And they're like jumping up and down and laughing. LeBron's smiling while he's posting up. And then he does a spin move. He does the revert like a crazy, unbelievable finish. He, they're laughing. Everybody's jumping out. And if you watch that replay, you know who's sitting the whole time? You know who like I doesn't clap or form a movement? I didn't catch it, no. Kuzma. He's sitting there. Okay. Just stone-faced the entire time. LeBron's laughing. The team's jumping up and down. He makes this sweet move. Everybody's jumping and clapping. Kuzma doesn't move a muscle. And I've, I've seen the, the body language from him just watching the Lakers play. And I'm like, he doesn't like to be on that team. He doesn't, he doesn't like LeBron. He doesn't like playing with him, right? And, and so I felt like that was a, the biggest reason why there were games where he was just like, eh, I'm not really you know, doing much. And to be honest, they, the Lakers didn't do a whole lot for Kuzma either. They were just kind of like, listen, we want you to be like the third best guy and blah, blah, blah. But I didn't feel like they were really doing a lot. And, and LeBron and Anthony Davis were even doing a lot for him to be who he is as a player. So it's definitely a two-way two -way street. Um, but if, you, if, if you're a high-level player, you need to make sure that like those, those – not even fringe guys, but, but those essential key role guys are invested and in on what it takes because if they had a couple good games between Schroeder and, and Kuzma, they'd probably still be alive, right? They, they could beat the Suns, I think, with if LeBron's healthy. But, you know, there were times where LeBron, like, he throws his punch and he's like, all right, we just don't have it tonight. And you're right on the Monday with Anthony Davis – a top probably four talent, I would say, in the NBA. Um, but health-wise, he can't stay. He can't stay healthy. Um, and 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 bringing in the drumming thing, I was like, oh, this is just going to be funny, you know. And I was like, I really hope that the, you know, that they don't win a championship now because we've seen. I don't understand why the people in LA think everybody that played for the Pistons is this great player. I mean, we have Drummond, who they picked up, who spent his time for the Pistons. And we were glad to see him go. The Clippers got Reggie Jackson, right? And I mean, I, I still can't believe that they rely on Reggie Jackson as much for the Clippers, right? And uh, and then the, the Clippers have um, 
ACP. <laughs> okay, that's a fourth one I'm thinking of because I'm thinking of Canard. Uh, Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and he's on the Clippers. That's what I mean. The Clippers. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So like there's, there's these handful of guys on both these rosters in LA and I'm like, wow, oh, I can't believe you guys are like relying on some of these guys because they, they didn't prove, you know, they weren't worth the pudding in uh, Detroit. It's pretty funny. So all in all Lakers need to do some retooling. I thought they honestly did do a good job this summer retooling um, the things that they did, but due to injuries, it, it wasn't, meant to be and um it was fun to see um booker kind of emerge as a star even last year with them going eight and oh in the bubble nearly making the playoffs last year they had a good thing coming you add chris paul it's a potent as backcourt as there is in the nba um and i'm trying to think of who has a prettier jump shot than devin booker who's a prettier player to watch and i mean he is just like that's how you watch basketball that's how you play the game you know Mm-hmm. He he's smooth, man. And it looks great. And I was listening to another podcast yesterday and they had talked about how he's not necessarily in the same vein as some of these new guys coming up where it's no, gunning he's deep three pointers. He's, he's not, yeah, he's not shooting the 30 footers as much. I think he is a, a great three point shooter, he's but got I great love mid range though, mid range. And he attacks the paint and has a little bit of that in between game. And I love that. And I think that that's why he's He's so tough. He can attack switches really well too. I mean, he took, he took Davis out of that game. Like they got Davis yeah, on a switch exactly. and it was, you could tell, which is something you ne- you don't really find success with that against Anthony Davis. No, he, you know he can guard true. those guys. And for him to say, Oh, I think there's an injury here and just attack that. Smart. That was huge. It was huge. Yeah. Um, but he yeah, also we, moves off the ball and you, yep. and you look at guys like uh, a Kyrie, a Harden, um, a Trey Young, uh, Damian Lillard, a McCollum, um, Brandon Ingram. Um, I could go on and on. There's 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 these thirty and younger players, but they don't use screens off the ball well. Devin Booker can do everything. You can use him in a ball screen. You can put him in pin down series. You can you can use him on the high post. Um, he can score at all three levels. I mean he that's why I love watching him so much is because his variety of scoring is, is off the charts. I was listening to sports center this morning and, and somebody on sports center, one of the analysts said that um, James Harden is the um, most, what it, what was the word that they said? He's got the most, not variety in his game, but he. Gifted they, versatility. Versatile. Maybe there's some, something like that. They're I wrong. Was like, what he only does two things yeah he drives and he shoots step back threes i was like do you know you have kevin durant on your team like kevin durant can do absolutely anything he can post up he can come off screens he can set screens (laughs) i mean i mean like what can't kevin durant do i was like all right espn you guys are you know this is just dumb um so we have that, and um, as far as the Nuggets Blazer series, um, you knew it was going to be a good series. The the Nuggets are always like going to make a long series out of whoever they play, um, and I'm just I'm curious to see. I think there's going to be a lot of shakeup in Portland. I think that um, you know Terry Stotts just being out, head coach, um, 
you've talked, you've seen in some of the press conferences, you know, Lillard, Jurkic talking about some changes that need to be made within the team. So I really think that we're going to see a different Trailblazers team next year. Um, and I'm going to be intrigued about it because Damian Lillard is, you know, you talk about a smooth stroke and he's got one of the prettiest strokes in the league. Um, and we can we stop with the Dame Lillard being underrated? I mean, because all, all I see now is comparing him to Steph Curry. And when we compare him to Steph Curry, everybody's like, well, if Curry's the standard of the best point guard in the league, and then the only person that they compare Curry to is Lillard. Yeah. And he's I think two. that's true. I think that's true. Like I, th- I think he's he's two. Like if Curry's one, Dame is two. And I think there's like Curry is clearly the best point guard because of everything that he he does. And if if you look at like the actual stats, a lot of the stuff, it backs up that Curry is elite, like unbelievable. But I think there's a bigger gap between Dame and whoever is at number three than probably even Curry at one and, and Dame at two. What do you think? Yeah, it, it kind of depends too if you have Luca at point guard or not, uh, which That's true. That's you know true. he is. Yeah. But if we're talking you know, in the same mold, like he does these, we call them Curry impressions. And if you go back and you watch that clip of his 55 point game where he, where he, um, they went into into double overtime. That is some of the craziest shot making I've ever, ever seen. Like maybe there's some Kobe games where you're just like, wow, I've never seen something like this before or Michael Jordan or however far back you want to go. But even his impressions of Curry, like if we're just talking about three-point shooting, he's hitting threes in a way that even Curry doesn't. Now, Curry can hit threes in a way that Dame doesn't, but they elevate differently. Dame's shot looks different. He he can shoot threes, and those, some of those threes he was hitting were off balance. Like, he's fading away on some of those. I don't see Curry shoot in that same way. He tends to create, like, a little bit more separation with his ball handling. He can do step backs, but he also shoots shoots it from more from his body. and so. It, he's typically on balance in a way that Dame isn't. And it is just something that I I haven't really ever seen that before. We have guys that are shooting consistently shooting three pointers from way beyond the line that are also off balance at the same time. It's, it's really crazy. And so, yeah, I think um, not counting Luca, you know, him and Curry, it's like a, it's a one, a one B type thing. And he's, he's pretty close to there. I mean, we've had discussions in the past about what would it look like if you switched places with them you're always going to prefer curry but dame is is no slouch and he's not he's not uh underrated anymore for sure absolutely not um with i mean we could i I could we could do a full podcast comparing those two because there's so many different things we could break down we could even break down like their shooting stroke and and what makes like because lillard has a slightly higher release point and more elevation on his jump shot that is what also allows him to be off balance and square up in the air, right? Whereas because there's no jump, much jump in Curry shot, that's not going to be part of the variability. Like look at some of those crazy Jordan and Kobe highlights where they're literally like twisting in the air and they, they get so much elevation on their jump shot. They have all this extra time to shoot it now. Does that make it harder to shoot it? Yeah, it does. Like it's really crazy to, to do that. Um, whereas with Curry, he's not, jumping and then shooting he may be like twisting 
while he's shooting the shot, which is crazy as well. Like where he'll shoot it and he'll totally be like turned around, like just keep the motion, turn around and walk the other side while, before the ball's even in, stuff like that. Really crazy stuff. We could go on and on, but um, as I look at this series, I, I think, okay, the Nuggets don't have their second best player in Jamal Murray. Um, but as they're going into this series against Phoenix, I'm looking at, okay, point guard, point guard, Damian Lillard, they just dispatched of compared to Chris Paul, who's better, Dame Lillard. Okay, Devin Booker and CJ McCollum, who's better? Devin Booker is better, right? And then you start to look at the other pieces on the Suns and try to compare them to the pieces um, in Portland. Okay, I'd take Aiton. I think he's just, you know, he's bigger body, you know, he's, he's going to clog some things up in the paint. So I think the Suns have a, a better supporting role. Um, but I, I mean, Jokic is out of his mind and he, he takes, he, de- he never lets the defense off the hook. He takes what he wants. Whereas a lot of players just take what they can get. And he seems like he's always getting what he wants, whether it's with a pass, a cut, a shot, um, so, man, I, I can see it being back-to-back years where the Nuggets are in the Western Conference Finals. I could, too. And, I mean, it, this could be one of those years where, say, the Nuggets make it to the Western Conference Finals, and then if they were to lose to, you know, either Utah, the Clippers, or Dallas, and it's like, oh, man, their fans are going to be looking at this and being like, can you believe we made it that far without Jamal Murray? And it just goes to show how special Jokic is. Like you said, he he just has a command of the game, and he takes over quarters and halves in a way that's really unique. Like there's certain players that are really hard to orbit, like a LeBron. He's, he's hard to orbit. If you're a guy that has some ability to create your own shot, it's not easier to play with a guy like LeBron. Now, if you're strictly a shooter, like a Kyle Korver, where you can barely walk, but you can still shoot, it's easy. And that's, that's where it gets dicey, where they say LeBron makes all these other guys better. I don't agree with that unless you're talking strictly shooting. But Jokic makes other guys better. And uh, that I think was the difference in, in that series too, is that Dame, he can do a lot of cool individual stuff. He doesn't have the same ability. Some, some of it's due to his lack of size, but to make guys better. And if CJ's not hitting, then, then that, then it's over. But um, the stat lines that he can put up where it's just like a kind of a meager or an easy 36, 38 points along with his rebounds and then his assists and the way that he shoots it, where it's behind his head with a high release point, it's like, oh, it's, you know, 23 seconds of that shot clock didn't go well. I can still shoot this little fadeaway over my head. It's it's crazy. And so I, I have one quick question for you. I was thinking about this. Who would you rather take right now, 2011 Dirk or current day Nikola Jokic? It seems crazy because obviously Dirk won the championship. But I don't think it is because I'm I'm fairly certain if you swap those guys out, Jokic is leading the Mavericks to that same championship in 2011. Great, great question. You know, both seven foot European guys both kind of shot it behind their head. Um, I think that you know the advantage from a, a defensive mobility standpoint during that time. I think Dirk was much more mobile. You know, he could guard like a small forward or something if he got caught up on a on a switch. Um, whereas Jokic is too, too slow on the defensive end. Now, he has really good hands. He has solid positioning. Um, 
But at that point, defensively, like Dirk in 2011 was way, way ahead of Jokic, you know, from a defensive standpoint. Now, Jokic passing, far superior. Um, it, you can't look at the stats. The pace of play and the amount of three-point shots is so inflated. Like, if somebody doesn't score 35 or even 35 on two teams, you're like, what the heck? Like, how, how come nobody was scoring this game? Whereas before, if somebody scored, you know, 28, 29, 30 in a game, you were like, whoa, like they were dominating the game, right? And that was, you know, not even 15 years ago that we're talking, you know, like 10 years ago, if somebody did that, you're like, man, they were must have been balling to score 30, you know? Um, so stats are so inflated right now that we can't, we can't use that um, to, to judge everything. And also, um, there's so much less contact now that the game is just easier to score. So we're only talking 10 years. I feel like we could be comparing 30 years as far as how much the game has changed in the past 10 years. Because um, when I just look at like, who would I want on my team? I'm like, well, I would probably want a guy who's, you know, more athletic. You know, Dirk would be a better shooter as far as like mid-range and three, um, Jokic better passer and ball handler and stuff like that. Like in today's game, yeah, I'd probably take Jokic, but in 2011, who would I rather take? I'd probably take Dirk. Um, the game is just different, man. Like it was, it was still a pretty physical game in 2011. Um, it is not a physical game anymore. Like unless guys are just banging in the post without the ball, um, the pace to play the three. So that's probably not a good answer, but that's how I feel. The, the, the game is just, I need, I hate watching a game and it's like 135 to 125. Like what is going on with the NBA? Like, can we let the game get more physical? Can we, can we stop calling these stupid fouls when guys shoot threes? And a guy's just like standing next to him. We let him go to the free throw line and shoot two, two or three free throws. Um, there, there's just so many weak, weak calls um, that the NBA has to change it. Because for me as a diehard basketball fan, there are so many times where I watch a game and I'm just like, this is soft officiating. It's not the official's fault. It's coming from above. But this is what is, is turning the average fan off from NBA basketball and why there's so many people out there that are college basketball fans. I like college basketball. And you know what, from an officiating standpoint is even if the college officiating may be more inconsistent, I'm siding with, with you if that's your argument, because the, the style of the NBA game, which is so much based on how it's being officiated. I don't like it. Yeah. And, you know, with the 12 minute quarters, it's like, if you're used to college basketball um, and the officiating is bad, at least it's only 40 minutes of basketball. And so you can get through it. And sometimes the NBA, it can be difficult, man. If you're, if you're tuning in and you're like, wow, I just had to watch Trey young in consecutive possessions, give a shot fake and lean into somebody and get the call. Um, yeah. It can really drag the game on. And then plus you include, uh, if one of those fouls is on your star player in the third quarter or something, then the coaches are going to challenge it and it just continues to add things. So yeah, I wouldn't fault anybody for saying that it's, that it's tough to watch. Um, but you do have to, 
you know, find the nuggets within it. And um, yeah, I think that I could be convinced either way. If I go back to my question about uh, Jokic versus Nowitzki, I really could go either way. I think they would both find success in the different eras. So it is, it is an interesting thing. And it could be something like, we look back on this in five or six years, if Jokic continues uh, doing the same stuff that he's doing now, you know, it could be a totally different conversation. And it's, it's also tough to compare because you know, that if, if dirt didn't do what he did, who's to say Jokic is the player that he is. And if, if you flipped them and you put Dirk in 2021, well, does Dirk have handles now? Is Dirk shooting 25 foot threes now? You know, like the, when the game changed, that means the play, the best players are going to adapt too. So you're right. Jokic would also thrive 10 years ago, just like Dirk would be thriving in today's game and in his prime, because that's what the greats do, right? They, they'd be able to, to do that. So um, as, as we get to the last series that we want to break down this afternoon, um, last night we both watched, I mean, I haven't seen midnight in who knows how long, um, but I had to stay up and watch that game and it did not disappoint. Um, Kawhi Leonard absolutely put himself in like Jordan mode for basically three quarters of the game and just took it over. Um, it was just a really fun game to watch. There were a handful of times where I thought the Clippers were starting to give it back away. Um, but Kawhi Leonard was just like, no, I'm, I'm going to continue to hit impossible shot after impossible shot. We're not losing this game. What are your thoughts? It was awesome, man. It was vintage Kawhi from, you know, 2019. We'd seen, you know, his time with the, with the Spurs, he was doing some really special stuff. Obviously he'd gotten a finals MVP while he was there, but 2019 is when we, with the Raptors is when we got like the full display of like, here's a dude that's playing the passing lanes is shutting guys down one-on-one driving to the basket and is always getting to his spots and he's not rushed. Like there was no, he can be athletic if he needs to, but but he just gets to his spot at his own pace. And what's really interesting, you had kind of said this earlier, where if people are, are saying that James Harden is just the, the best, like Barkley says this all the time, Harden is the best scorer he's ever seen. And I just, I don't agree with that because we haven't seen it work uh, in the same way that it would with like a Durant or with a Kobe or with a Kawhi where you can score at all three levels. And that's what's so interesting about watching Kawhi in his game last night is that he just gets to that mid-range jumper as the shot clock is winding down, or he was, he was also hitting the three and can, and still can mix in driving to the basket. Like there's times where you watch him drive to the basket and he puts his shoulder into like a Boban and pushes him back and, and gets the layup. And it's just unbelievable scoring. And so as I'm looking at the game seven and trying to figure out who is, Who's going to win this? I'm I'm thinking less about Clippers versus Mavs, and I'm thinking more about Kawhi versus Luka because I don't think you can go into a game seven and trust a guy like a Paul George, trust a guy like a Reggie Jackson. And so you have to ask yourself, are the odds higher that Kawhi can duplicate or come close to his effort from game six and lead the Clippers to the win? Or are the odds higher that Luka is going to bounce back from a poor game and have a great game? And I, as young as Luca is, I'm yet to see things befuddle him two games in a row. Like, I feel like he always comes back and maybe Kawhi is the antidote to that. Like Kawhi was chasing him around last night. He looked great. 
on both sides of the ball in a way that we haven't seen this year or even last year. I just feel like Luca is too dangerous. He's going to figure things out, whether he's going to figure out how to score against Kawhi or he's going to figure out how to get other guys involved. And so I'm, I'm kind of leaning Dallas in this one because I don't know if we can get a repeat of what, of what Kawhi did without Paul George having to maybe drop 30. If they can combine, if George and Kawhi can combine for 60 points, then that's a different story. But if, if Paul George is barely going to break 20 points, then Kawhi does have to drop 40, I think. And, and I'm not sure what the odds of that happening are. No, I'm leaning towards the Mavericks as well for the reasons that you, you just stated. And then, you know, I would say that Kawhi through his defense was insane. It was nuts. I mean, in, in the game today where it's so easy to get called for cheap fouls, the defense that he was able to play with his length and his ball pressure was fantastic. The Clippers did a great job of doubling Luka, and Luka didn't do a great job once he gave the ball up off of a double to try to get the ball back and then reattack. Um, whereas there were times where Kawhi was in that situation, he'd give it up, and then he'd come right back to the ball again. Um, Luca let himself get out of the possession a little easier at times than Kawhi Leonard did, which goes back to the point that you made of two games in a row. Is he out of sorts? Never. Right. And so he's going to have an answer for that coming into game seven. If the Clippers continue to double the ball screen. Now the ball screen is a huge part of the Dallas Mavericks offense. So, you know, they're going to continue with the ball screen, but how are they going to add in some wrinkles so that he can come off the ball screen? If the Clippers continue to double, he's going to be able to still get the basketball back. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what changes and tweaks Dallas makes as well. Um, because, you know, the Clippers come out and I, even though um, it was a really close game, I felt like the Clippers had a little different game plan as far as they put Kawhi on Luka the majority of the time. They said they were going to double the ball screens and they were going to let, you know, Tim Hardaway beat them, right? Or whoever was going to get that. They were going to, they were going to live with somebody else beating them, just not Luka. And it, it worked. So the Dallas now has to make some adjustments, but I'm curious to see what Dallas does on the defensive end because um, they didn't double Kawhi as often as I thought they should have. Um, they played the two, three zone. And although there were times where you're like, oh man, they just gave up an easy basket. Um, Boban got four offensive rebounds and missed like three putbacks. And then they took him out. I thought that was a mistake. Um, I, th I thought that that, yeah, you missed those layups, but that, that showed in a microcosm of, you know, how they can be taken advantage of. And Boban did some damage, I thought, in the limited minutes that he had in the game. So I'm curious to see if he, he plays a little bit more. Um, I'm curious to see if they decide that they're going to put more of an emphasis on doubling Kawhi. Um, and I don't think Kawhi is going to have the gas in the tank. It's less than 48 hours from game six to game seven. He, he was guarding one of the most active players in the league in Luka and he's dropping 45 on the other end. And you throw in the fact that the Clippers don't actually have a legit point guard. 2019 Kawhi didn't have to bring the ball up. <laughs> I mean, they had Kyle Lowry bringing it up. They had Van Vliet bringing it up. Uh, they had Siakam who would get in transition and bring it up. And then Kawhi got it. If he got it, he would bring it up. The, the Clippers are relying on Reggie Jackson 
to play the point. And Reggie thinks a lot of times he's the first option on the team. Like, Have fun with that in a game seven. Yeah, good luck. Like he, you know, Reggie Jackson is thinking like, this is on me. This is my time. It's my time to show everybody like, you know, I'm the best, one of the best players in the world. And like, that's what Reggie Jackson is telling himself going into game seven. It's like, he's got to take this over, right? Uh, not a good idea. Paul George, what the heck is going through his mind going into this game? Now he, there were a couple times where I was like, whoa, dude, you just passed it like straight to Luka Doncic who took off on the other end, but then he'd come down and he'd hit a jump shot. And you're like, okay, like he's, he, he, he played pretty well. Um, will he be able to do that in game seven? But he's got to play better. Like he scored 20. He's going to have to get like 25, right? Um, he's going to have to not have the live ball turnovers that he had, which are uncharacteristic. He threw, you texted me last night. He was inbounding the ball. Was it to Reggie Jackson? Yeah. And Reggie Jackson was open. He didn't pass it. Reggie Jackson has to like try to get open again. And now he's like hugging the sideline. And then, and then like Paul George tries to squeeze the ball in. They're too close. The ball's way too fast. They end up turning it over. And I'm like, what in the world just happened? The Clippers just called a timeout because they were had trouble getting the ball up the court. So they called the timeout so that they can now set the basketball up in the front court. And then they still turned it over. I was like, this is the problem with the fact that they don't have a legitimate point guard on their team. And um, the fact that they have to use Paul George and Kawhi like point guards, I can't believe that they ran this team back without fixing that hole. And I know they thought they fixed it with Rondo and Jackson. That's, that's not a fix. Um, and this is what makes Kawhi not as versatile as he was with the 2019 Raptors. Because in 2019, he could bring it up when he wanted to, but he didn't have to. It allowed him to post up. It allowed him to do ball screens if he felt like it allowed him to do um, off the ball screens. It allowed him to just catch it and one of the best things about Kawhi Leonard, is my, in my opinion, is you give it to him in triple threat. You give it to him in triple threat, he's facing you up from the, from the, the wing, and you're like, what do I do with this guy? What do I do with this guy? Now, fast forward to 2021, how often do you see Kawhi Leonard working out a triple threat? We don't. He's always, he's always bringing the ball up. He's going one-on-one -on -one off the dribble. They're doing a ball screen for him. You're, you've had to take away one of the best aspects of his game because the pieces on this team don't actually complement who he is as a player. He's just so good. He can do everything at a high level anyway. Um, so it's just really, really interesting. But I got the maps because I think that even if Kawhi and Luka cancel each other out, I think the Mavericks have guys who are going to be able to help them win the game. Whereas I think the Clippers have guys who will help you lose the game. <laughs> yeah. I think the Mavs maybe have a few more wrinkles. Like it's crazy that we're in the playoffs and I don't, have they been doing the Boban Chris Stapps combination for like three games? That's it. Like, I don't even know that they did it in the regular season ever. And Boban was averaging like eight minutes a game or something leading into this. And now you're watching and you're like, this is, this is actually kind of working somehow. I don't think it's going to work for 35 minutes, but you have two guys. They're both over seven foot three. And like Luca can 
can get the ball to those guys where they where they need it, especially Boban. As he's rolling to the basket, he can put it and put it where where Boban only Boban can get it. And I thought that that was just a really cool wrinkle that they finally started experimenting with. And it's a wrinkle in a way that I don't think the Clippers have an additional wrinkle. And so, yeah, it just seems like the Mavs are just going to have have an ability to bounce back from that last loss. But I will be curious. I mean, for as great as Kawhi was, we were talking about him in 2019 being the best player in the world, and I think that he was. Um, can he do it two games in a row? Because that's, I think, is what it's going to take unless Paul George can can dig deep and, and show you things that he hasn't shown in high-pressure elimination games the last couple of years, basically since Dame punked him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it really is, you know, you look at Kawhi and that was like, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was, you know, that country song. That was like Kawhi last night. Now, 2019, he was doing stuff like that. Now, I know this was his playoff career high, but he was doing things like that every single game. You know, like they were down 2-0 to the Bucks. They switched and put him on Giannis. He stops Giannis and he's giving him buckets on the other end. Then they go to the finals. He does thing in the finals. They go to, you know, Philadelphia, who has great, you know, uh, perimeter defenders. He just torches them. Like, so can he keep that consistency with, you know, more years and age on him? Um, we'll see. And he, he just has such a bigger burden with this team. Like this isn't, this team isn't as good as the Raptors team was. Like if you took Kawhi off the Clippers and you took Kawhi off the Raptors, the Raptors team is good, is better, you know? Um, so he just has a lot more work to do with, with this current team. Um, interesting stuff. You know, we'll see how they, they play against the, the jazz, whoever comes out of this, um, the jazz, I'm sorry. They don't, they don't scare me. We haven't talked about, sorry, Utah fans, you know, tuning in. Um, but they're, they're a team that like, you just, you got to go deeper in the playoffs at some point for people that I think to really take you serious. Yeah. They're, they're a team that has a combination of guys that you would really like to see some of those guys on other rosters, like the Clippers, there's guys on the, on the Utah jazz that the Clippers are probably like, man, we could really use a guy like a Joe Ingles or somebody like that or a Mike Conley or a Mike Conley. Yeah, definitely. So they have a lot of those guys that would look so good on some of these other rosters, like the Lakers that just were missing certain pieces. Um, but that's what their whole team is. And unless Mitchell goes nuclear, that's really the only chance that they have, I think, in some of these series against uh, whether it's going to be the Clippers or Dallas. And I don't, I don't see many games happening against either of those teams where you're going to look and say, yeah, Mitchell's, was the best player on the court tonight. I, I wouldn't take my odds uh, with him against a player like a Kawhi or a, or Luca. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's what the playoffs come down to a lot of times is which team has the best player and um, you know, which, which team has the next guy or two who's really able to, to step it up at a high level and that's, who's going to win. And when you look at Utah, really great team, awesome season. Um, but it's tough when your second best player, you could even call Gobert your best player. I know, you know I listen to some podcasts. They're like, you know, he's the best player in the team. Um, I think that's you, wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, because like if, if you can't score and especially when you're in a seven game series, if you're not a scorer, it, the longer that series goes, the easier it is to scout 
and, and to find ways to exploit a non-scorer. Um, and, you know, I mean, what's the biggest difference between like the, the Warriors team this year and like the Portland Trailblazers team this year? The Warriors second best player was Draymond Green. He's a non-scorer, you know, and, and so it just makes it tough as, as good as Draymond is in every other area of the game because he can't score every time you're on offense, you only have to guard four guys, you know? And, and so it just makes, makes it tough. Um, you know, I know Gobert's different. You got to protect him on a rim run after a ball screen, then that opens up some kickouts and stuff. But um, you know, when he catches the ball and he's not about to dunk it, nobody's helping put it that way, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's fun to say that guys that can compile a lot of the little things, assists, rebounds, deflections, their defensive ability, blocks, whatever. It's it's fun to say that they're sometimes your second best player, but you you need in the league today, you need your second best player to also score. And that's why I think we're about to see some issues with Philadelphia too, whether Embiid yeah, plays or not. Yeah, good point. You can't have your best player uh, or second best player not, not be mm-hmm. a scorer. So this cool. was fun, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That was that was good. Can't wait for the, the game this evening. And anything else you want to mention to wrap it up? No, I just encourage people to just root your hearts out for Milwaukee, man. This truly <laughs> is a battle of, of good versus evil. Um, we we need we need a team like Milwaukee to just put the clamps down on Brooklyn so that uh, teams in the future can understand the importance of building like a well-balanced roster uh, and not just solely relying on on throwing talent together and just pushing yeah. them out there. It, yeah. it is, it's also why I would be okay if the Clippers lost and why I was yeah. cool with the Lakers losing. Um, I'm just really tired of, of guys that are just controlling their destiny in such a way that they're quitting on teams in order to get to play with their friends. It's just, it's not something that I don't think I'll ever be able to understand or appreciate. So go Milwaukee. <laughs> go Milwaukee. And oh, the last thing before we shut down, I think a lot of people that are tuning in, our first podcast after the Lakers were eliminated would expect us to have like this celebration that LeBron lost and Lakers lost. And that's, that's not us. Like we're not throwing a party because, Hey, LeBron, you know, there's stuff on Twitter, you know, comparing LeBron and Jordan and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, he wasn't as good as Jordan anyway. So like it, it really doesn't matter. And the, you, you never want, people to go out because of an injury and the reason that the Lakers we didn't at least get to see them go out on a healthy like they just gave it the best shot and it wasn't enough we didn't get to see that because Anthony Davis was hurt now I know Suns fans will be like yeah but Chris Paul was banged up as well and you're right that's a good point um the better team won given the circumstances no doubt about it Phoenix deserved to win um but the truth is also the fact that Anthony Davis was really hurt. He messed his calf up this winter. So did I. It took me like a good three months to heal from my calf. I feel like I was normal. And then like three weeks later, I messed up my groin, just like Anthony Davis did. And I can tell you firsthand from really messing up my groin, it's taken me two weeks to feel like close to normal. How long did he try to come back after he hurt himself? A couple days. Couple days. Like, so like when that happened and I was literally watching, I was like, Anthony Davis had kind of the same injury as I did in his lower leg. And then he came back and eventually he hurt his groin just like I did. Um, 
I was like, well, I can tell you how much I feel. I know I don't have the doctors that Anthony Davis does, but I'm also not seven feet tall and don't have that kind of stress on my body like he does trying to play, you know, with, with so much pounding and, and force and stuff. Um, so I was like, he's not going to be healthy. And so um, you just, you wish guys were healthy. And, and this is a, a season based on attrition. And, you know, I really think the healthiest team is going to win. Yeah, I'm not taking the same level of joy in a Lakers loss that I no, no normally joy. would have because no. of, because of like you said. And it was also, I know Davis has the rep, reputation. And I think it's correct that he's, he's a little bit fragile. And, but this was the first time that I can really remember, except maybe he had a shoulder injury at some point when yeah. he was with yep. New Orleans, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, this is a, this is an injury that you can just, as he's moving around, you're like, this is real. And this isn't just him sitting out for bumps and bruises. No, this was a, a a real, real injury. And so Mm -hmm. um, it would have been cool to, to see all those teams at full strength. But uh, like you said, you know, the healthy team is, is usually going to come out on top. That's the way the cookie crumbles. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to this special episode. And uh, we look forward to, watching more NBA basketball playoffs throughout the coming days and weeks. Peace. Peace.